The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. To the reading of the word, we'll start in verse 1 because we're close enough to the start of the chapter. We need the context of it. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. If it's been a while since you've been here, if it's the first time, we have been uh, pretty much 90% of the Sundays this year, give or take, have been in the book of Hebrews. And we're getting close, but we're slowing down to put, look at one name at a time. This week, Noah. Next week, Abraham. Ben, our intern, will be preaching in a couple weeks on December 4th or 5th, whatever the date is, about verses 13 through 16. And then on the 11th, we'll look at Abraham again. And then uh, the 18th and 25th will be more seasonal. But I pray you're encouraged by what you hear and what you see. But above all, that God's word is lifted high as he is lifted high. Hear the word this morning. Now, faith is the assurance, verse 1, of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old were com uh, received their commendation. By faith, verse 3, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he con was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, verse 5, Enoch was taken up so he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And I know you know this verse well, don't you? Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Our focus for today, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet not seen or yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at a story that we all have heard and know well, especially perhaps from a young age about Noah and who he was and what he did, may we see it as the writer of Hebrews saw it, not just as a good old story that makes us uh, warm inside, but may we see it as one who walked by faith, not by his works, Lord, that he was saved, but by his faith. But out of that faith came the works of reverent fear of seeing things not yet seen, that he lived a life pleasing to you. Father, may we do the same. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, they say that Noah's Ark, uh, if you could take Noah's Ark, this sounds like more of a graduation opening perhaps in May than it does a sermon in Thanksgiving time. But Noah's Ark teaches us many life lessons. Are you ready for these? And these were, these were given to us by kids, and these were compiled many years ago. But Noah's Ark teaches us that you should not miss the boat, right? Don't miss the boat. And remember that we're all in the same boat. Plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark, was it? You remember in those days that it had, the Bible says it had not rained, but water came up from the deep. It came up from the ground. Also, stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something really, really big. Always live a righteous life. Even if you're only the only one, it will be noticed. 
Also, don't listen to critics. Just go on with the job that needs to be done. And one kid said, when the doo-doo gets really deep, don't just sit there and complain. Shovel it away, right? And that's very true. Build your future high on the ground that you need to be. And for safety's sake, travel in pairs. It's best for your safety. And if you have to start over, it's good to have a friend by your side. Now, that makes sense. There's nothing wrong with most of what is being said there. It's good, random advice. But really, what is Noah all about? Is it just about a boat and a guy and some animals and two by two, and they all smile for a year because they never got discouraged like the photos and the kids things say? Probably not. One thing we can say about Noah, he was a man with an unsinkable faith. I mean, you can't. He was faced with the greatest storm ever and the world has ever seen, and he sailed right through it, pun intended, by faith. No one was ever asked, perhaps, to believe anything more impossible or attempt anything more incredible than he did by faith. And that's what faith does. It sees the invisible, believes the impossible, and does the incredible. So much so that it makes no sense to anyone around us. Unless God spoke to you about something, you'd be a fool to follow it. But if God has told you to do something, and in, in this case, obey God to the point where you build an ark in a desert far away from the largest known body of water at the time, that's exactly what you're told to do. But friends, there is coming a day, and Pastor Nelson read this, where we too are going to be asked to put on our faith like Noah. Because the Matthew in Matthew 24, it says, But as the days of Noah were, so also is the coming of the Son of Man. And they knew not until the flood came and took them away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man. We are like Noah in some sense as we await things not yet seen. That is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. People call it foolish. People call it uh, just uh, uh, crazy religious fanaticism. But at the end of the day, Noah's testimony is ours in some sense. No matter how ungodly the culture is or ungodly people may become, God always has a plan for his people. And if his people follow that plan, it's going to be okay. And by the grace of God, we can remain true no matter what. Look, God's plan for Noah was to be a lonely prophet, preaching a message that was hard to people. So when God's plan is hard, are you willing to trust him, even when you don't see the daylight? And that is our big idea today, is that God may call you into a long direction of dark obedience. Dark, not dark obedience, excuse me, dark direction of obedience, where you go, and you have to give up yourself, and you have to abandon your life to his sovereign plan. Are you ready to do that for his glory? I mean, think about it for a second. Noah was told, build an ark when it's never rained. Abraham, will, or Abraham, we'll look at next week, was told, go to a land and I'll show you. Moses was told to go to a sea that you cannot walk across. Joshua was told to walk around the walls of the biggest city at the time, the thickest walls at the time. And Peter was said to step on the water of a raging storm. But by faith, when God calls us, we often have to wait for his promises. And he who calls you is faithful and true. So what do we learn today about the faith of Noah? And I want to remind you where we are in the book of Hebrews, because we can get lost in the story of Noah. What, we are, what the writer of Hebrews is doing and has been doing for several chapters now is telling these people, look, if you're really of God, if you're really a Christian, your life will be marked by a life of faith, because faith alone saves you. But out of that faith is going to come an extraordinary working of your life, so much that people will just be like, huh? How did that happen to you? 
And so that's what we want to see today. The first mark of Noah's faith I want you to see, and I do believe this is not Amy's fault, it's my fault. I did not underline the blanks on your sheet. That was not intentional. So if we put it up there, just make sure that it's there and uh, it's there. But the first mark of faith I want you to see that Noah had is that he revered the word of God, that faith reveres God's word. Verse 7 tells us, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear. He was warned by God. Christian, do you remember, some of y'all were alive for this, some of you were really, really young for this, but back in 2005, around the Christmas time, do you remember in the Pacific Ocean, there was a big tsunami, do you remember this? And it went all over the place. I had to be reminded of this, I was doing research, and uh, it flooded out literally whole villages and islands, and it was like, it was so big, it was, it was an underground earthquake that became much bigger. But that was like a pebble in the cup of tea to compare what was coming in Noah's day. He didn't put it off. Noah didn't negotiate with God. He didn't say, well, was, was that, God, was that water symbolic? Maybe it stood for something else. Maybe it really was just, just some big symbol. No, God told Noah, there's a flood coming. You better build an ark and go do it according to my specifications. He took the word of God literally at face value. He didn't say, God, is that really what you meant? He said, God, I get what you said. Let me follow it. And God told him what he was going to do. He was going to destroy the earth. You will save your spot there in Hebrews 11 and flip with me back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis is the first book of the Bible for those of you taking score. Um, And it's back there in Genesis chapter 6. So go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2. I want to remind you of some of these parts that Noah had to do by obeying the word of God. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2. And Moses, the presumable author of Hebrews, writing down by the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, on the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took their wives uh, as they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And so the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and bore them children, those were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. And verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made on earth, the man on earth, and grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out Man, from whom I created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the air and heavens, for I'm sorry I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you can really get in the weeds here, like who are the sons of God? Were those demons that had uh, marital relations with humans and all those things? I don't believe so. I think they were in the line of Seth, and that's another topic. But I want you to know why God was flooding the earth. Did you catch verses 5 and 6? What was going on in the earth? Well, first off, how many were around in the earth? If you are looking for a solid Christian perspective on the beginning of the world, answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. How many of y'all have been to the big ark out in uh, the middle of nowhere, Ohio, out there? Kentucky, forgive me. Kentucky, Ohio, Cincinnati-ish area. It's really worth a sight if you can see it and go to it. 
But the one thing they will hammer there, there's details about the, the animals and all these things, but the one thing you don't want to miss is the Lord saw the wickedness, verse 5, of man, that every intention of his thoughts and his hearts was only evil continually. God saw the earth, and answers in Genesis will say there were probably hundreds of millions of people around during this time. But God found favor with one person, one person and his family, and that being Noah. You can flip back to Genesis chapter 11, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 11. Woo, Hebrews chapter 11, as you do. The point of all this is, Noah was warned by God that something was coming and something of some magnitude that no one had ever seen before. But the Bible tells us that Noah was found as being one who was righteous with God. He walked with God. And God told him how to make the ark, and he told him to make it out of gopher wood, make it 450 feet long and 70 feet wide and 75 feet tall. The top of the deck could have had 20 Missouri basketball courts in there, Hearn Center courts or Mizzou arenas or, or the fog, whatever your team is. You could fit 20 of those things on the top deck. The big inside was so big that it was about 1.4 million cubic feet. And, and in Richard Ream terms, Richard, this is total railroad. I thought of you when I put this in here. 500 railroad cars could have fit inside the middle of the ark. And it took him 120 years to build the thing. What will Noah do? What will he do? Will he just simply explain it away? I mean, it could have been foolish. Think about this. It never rained on the earth. It's unlikely that God would really kill everything, right? I mean, if you're a reasonable person, why would God do that? God, that's pretty stupid. If you're a foolish person saying these things, we're not by the sea. No one even knew if this thing could float. And there's not a single person outside of his whole family who would come to him. Yet he listened to the word of God and did it anyway. Oh, what faith he had. He was asked to do something. He built an ark on dry land. He brought animals in the fold. And Noah, it says in Genesis 6.22, did all according to the word of the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me to have that type of obedience in a culture and a time that we live in 2022. Friends, the bottom line is when we take God seriously, we take his word seriously, and we take his work seriously. If you really live for Jesus Christ in this generation, you're going to be like Noah. Now, you can argue, did Noah have help? Did people other than his sons and daughters-in-law and wife help him build it? It's probably possible that they did. But at the end of the day, only him and his family believed the Lord in his word. Friends, I want to remind you this morning that if you are walking with God, if God asks you to do something incredible in his word by just simply obeying what is written here, you are being more faithful than most people will ever be in your generation to the word of the Lord and God himself. You show me. One Christian who takes God's word seriously, and I will show you one person by God's grace who can revolutionize and change the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would rather have one Christian who obeys this word instead of 10 churchgoers who look at me and say, Pastor, that was the best sermon I ever heard, and walk out the door and are just completely false in their faith. Give me a bowl in the china shop for Jesus any day over 10 people who yawn and walk away from church saying, oh, well, we checked that off for the week because by faith, Noah revered the word of God. Do you have that type of faith? When God says, do it, you do it. Well, pastor, there are hard passages in here. There are hard passages in here, but it doesn't change who God is. God's word does not change. 
I read yesterday a guy whose name and church don't matter, but he basically said that uh, culture changes and God, he basically argued that because culture changes, God's word should change to fit the culture. Now, he didn't say it in that simple language. But if we really believe the word of God as it is, we're going to do it. Well, the, well, the skeptic says, well, that means you can't eat shellfish. Women should be silent in churches. You shouldn't do this. Da, 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 da. Friends, every part of the word of God could be explained to you simply if you simply have faith to believe what the word of God actually says, not what you want it to say. Noah didn't argue with God. He just went and did. Yes, sir. Let me put me in, coach. Do we have that type of faith? I don't know. I pray we do, but I pray we take it at face value. A faith like Noah reveres the word of God. But I want you to see, secondly, it reaches the lost. Faith like Noah reaches the lost. If you believe what God says, you will have a heart for those who don't know what God has said. Look at the middle of verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Why? Look at your Bible. Listen to it. He tells you why. For the saving, this is ESV, for the saving of his household. Now, I want to be clear here. Noah could not spiritually save his family. Sir, ma'am, you cannot spiritually save your kids. Boy, I'd love that button to just push the button and my kids become a Christian. They have to make that choice. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to know, if you have true saving faith, you will reach out to the lost people around you. You have no desire, Spurgeon said, to share the gospel with others, then, then sir, be sure of this, you know not Christ is what Spurgeon said. If you're a spiritual cul-de-sac, you cannot pass on what you don't already possess. Noah's faith compelled him to put his arms around his wife, his sons, and his daughters-in-law and said, we must get going. We must enter in. There's a coming, a flood. Now let's be real for a second because this probably happened. They probably looked at him a little funny at some point and said, mm, I don't know, dad, I'm not sure about this one. But they came to believe it. They may have thought him crazy like the rest of the culture at some point. But Genesis 7, 1 through 7 says, God told him, enter the ark, you and your household. What a blessed ministry. 2 Peter 2, 5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached for 120 years, and the only people that got saved were his family. We would look at that from a church standpoint today and say, man, that, what a terrible waste of ministry. This guy couldn't save even, a, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with any sermon he preached. But the good side is his entire family came to know God by faith. They shared with him the trust that God was putting them on board. The bad side is, from a human perspective, is no one else came to believe it. They wanted no part of purity. They were like dogs eating their vomit or like pigs wallowing around in the mud. But as your faith is real, there's a Holy Spirit inside you. And if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, your job as a Christian is to share your faith. Not just share it physically, but verbally to share it. You've got at some point, we have gotten to a point in Christian life that we keep telling people, when's the last time you shared the gospel? Well, I'm building a relationship. You know what? At some point, that relationship is probably going to be on thin ice because when you share what the Bible actually says about that person that you're trying to witness to about Jesus, unless they come to Christ, they're probably not going to have much to do with you. Are you willing to risk your relationship even if it means being thought of as unfaithful? And this is what the big idea of this whole point is. And Amy will put this up. God calls us to be faithful to evangelize, not faithful to manipulate. Your job, my job, our job as a church is to share the gospel. God does the saving. We simply bring the fruit of it 
and, and, and are the opportunities to bear the fruit of it, excuse me. First Corinthians 3 reminds us that Paul watered, Apollos planted, but who made it grow? God made it grow. And friends, that's why any ministry that's not revering the word of God in prayer is going to fail at some point. It's going to be a house of cards that falls down. Now, I want to just say a word to my own heart here. I put this as much for me, perhaps, as for you. But we all have kids or grandkids or adopted uh, 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 nieces and nephews or are part of a family, even if we don't naturally have kids ourselves. But can I just say a quick word here? What a fool we are if we let our kids decide whether they want to come to church with us on any given day. There, I just said it. When you have been a spiritual couch potato with your kids, you need to get on board right now. Look, so many parents today will say, I just want my kids to make up their own mind. I don't want to push them. You want to know what Noah did? He told them over and over and over, aggressively probably at times, there is coming a day when the world is going to die and you're going to be with it. Are you with me or are you not? Sometimes you, we get so lackadaisical in our evangelism, even in our own families, and I'm pointing five fingers, ten fingers, and all my toes you can't see it myself, right? That we think just because they're in our house that they're just going to naturally be saved. Grandparent, parent, this is a serious call. If you revere the word of God as you say you revere the word of God, pastor, as you say and preach, we cannot be passive with our children and grandchildren about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you need to go home and just beat them over the head of the Bible, but you pray for simple opportunities to share your faith. You pray for daily opportunities to say, Lord, maybe today we can talk a little more about it. Those passing moments that they just say that profound truth and the next moment they're off tackling their brother. You know how this goes, but that's life. But are we taking seriously that call? Jared Wilson, one of my good ministry friends here in town, wrote several years ago, and Amy, if you'll put this up, this is not on your, your notes. He talked about and reflecting on how 75 to 80 percent of people who graduate high school and churches walk away. Amy, it should be the very next slide. There it is. Uh, just go ahead and put all the points up. There should be four or five. He talked about how today, how we can uh, disciple our kids out of church today. He talked about how families who attend church sporadically or parents or grandparents who complain about their church or how sometimes, especially in youth groups or children's ministries, they have kid church and youth church. That's why I love that we're mixed here. I know sometimes it can get chatty and loud if you have a hearing aid. I know it's hard at times, but I'm grateful that kids get to see old men, young ladies, old ladies, young men worshiping together. Because this study basically said that most people who walked away said they were pigeonholed over here in the youth group and over here with all these things. They didn't have any connection to anyone else. When they graduated, they didn't know what to do with themselves. Other reasons that people leave after they graduate high school from the faith is that they, we ignore their crucial questions. If you're a grandparent or a parent, you pray to God that you can help, even if it's looking it up together, the big questions they have. Why am I here? Why would God allow those people to die? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Those are things that speak to their life. Also, Jared Wilson, my friend, argues that most parents lose their children to the world because they church hop all the time. People tra change churches like they change job these days. If it doesn't work for me, I don't want to be there. Get out of here. Now, there's a time and a place to leave a church, and that's primarily when this word gets turned into man's word and not God's word. There's a big ticker for you. 
But the more you church hop, the more you lose it. Or that we just make the gospel a small thing. We sing about it on Sunday, we talk about it, but we really don't live it throughout the week. But I'm grateful that Noah's faith, that the reason he did that in reverent fear is that he might save his household. I'm pointing 10 fingers back at myself again. I'm with you on this. Church, would we commit this year to pray that our kids, our grandkids, our immediate family would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? You may be the only one they'll ever hear it from directly. You may lose them. You may not have a great relationship with them even though you love them. But your job is to be faithful. Your job is not to manipulate. Your job is to be faithful to share the gospel as Noah was, and God will do the rest. Let's go on to number three. He revered the word of God. His faith also sought the saving or reaching out to the lost. But number three, his faith also rebuked the world. His faith also rebuked the world. And this faith, as you see in verse 7, it says in verse 7, not only that uh, the saving of his household, but number three, by this he condemned the world. What does that mean? Noah revered the word of God. He took it seriously. He followed it wherever it was to the point at which he, he shared it with everyone, but especially with those closest to him. But he also condemned the world. That sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Martin Luther, the great reformer, was known uh, for many years for he would, he would stomp around and, 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 and devil take this. Uh, there's a famous uh, uh, preacher out there who, uh, he's not a, I don't know if he's good or bad, I've seen the meme where he, he has his Bible like this and he says, not today, devil, not today, and he takes out his sword. You've probably seen that before. Well, what does it mean to condemn the world? Are we, are we hurling insults at the devil? What does this mean? Well, number three is he condemned the world. He rebuked the world. Well, it means, first off, we know that Noah must have been a loving man. If he wasn't a loving man, he wouldn't have wanted to tell people about the message that God had. He could have kept it to himself. He could have kept the treasure to himself. But with every breath of his, his life was a swimming upstream against the culture and the tide of his day. And by faith and obedience and walking with God, he condemned the world. Richard Sibbs, one of those old dead guys that many of you read that have been long deader than dead. Uh, for, well, they've been dead a long time, said it this way. And this will be on the screen. He says that God takes a safe course with his children, that they may not be condemned with the world. God or he permits the world to condemn them, that they may not love the world. The world hates them, that they may not love the world. What Sibs is arguing is that every step of obedience by faith you take, like Noah, everything that, you, that God says that you take seriously is basically saying to the world, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I condemn this world. I want nothing to do with this world. Now be careful, because last week didn't we say that we need to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, and that's not a problem most of us have. But the problem is, is that we get so enamored by the culture, we forget what it's like to stand out from the culture. And so friends, with every board he cut, every tree he cut, every animal he loaded, every nail he drove down or gave orders to drive down, and with every sermon he preached, by faith, Noah condemned the world. He said, I love you, I care for you, but I want you to know that my God has put me here to point you back to him. By faith, Noah condemned the unbelieving, godless people all around him. And he didn't do it pridefully. 
He didn't do it showfully, show, with showmanship. He did it because he knew, as James 4, 4 says, that if we partner with the world, we're an enemy of God. Can I remind our church that today? Church, that if we adopt the world's ways about how we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not condemning the world, we're stroking the world's ego. This is why we don't give, uh, as some churches do on Easter, AR-15s away. That happened in Southwest Missouri this last year. Come to church and, and register your name and get a free AR-15 or get in a drawing, right? Or we don't give away $100 gift cards. If you come to church five times and get your hole punch, you'll get in a drawing. We don't do that. Well, pastor, if you did that, the pews might be a little more filled. They might be. But bait and switch isn't how my God operates. My God is truthful with me. He loves people and he invites people and he brings them in. We don't need to win people to some prize. We need to win them to show them the greatest prize, which was bought for them free of charge at the cross, which was Jesus saying, it is finished and it is done. Noah revered the word. He reached people. He condemned the world by what he did and what he stood for and who he was associated with. But finally, his faith received God's righteousness. His faith received God's righteousness. And notice the end of verse 7. If you have your Bible, look back with me, please, or your device or whatever you have. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. There's the reverent fear of the word. Constructed an ark for the saving of his family. There's the reaching of people. By this, he condemned the world. He rebuked the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Your Bible should have this there, but look at the end of verse 7. It doesn't say a righteousness, does it? It doesn't say uh, uh, many possible ways of being righteous. It says the righteous. I'm not married to a woman. I'm married to the woman, Natalie Smith. Does that make sense? You get that if you're a husband. Well, I, I, I death do us part. I'm marrying a woman. No, you're marrying that woman. That's the woman you married. You didn't marry all these other people. When you got married, you said no to everybody else for the rest of your life. And so it is with faith. Notice here, he was an heir. It's receiving something passed down. And it was the righteousness, only the righteousness that comes from God. Perfect acceptance before God. How did it come down to Noah? It wasn't his works. It wasn't his membership card he's held at the church for 50 years. It wasn't doing good, good things for the church. It wasn't helping old ladies across the street. It wasn't making quilts or doing uh, great outreach to the community. It was by what? Faith. And you notice, as we have said before, the faith is made up of three elements. Notice the faith here. Verse 7 says, the faith, it was warned. You notice that the verse, part of verse 7, his faith was warned. There was a knowledge of the truth. His faith warned him. There was a receiving of the message from God. Noah got the message. The words were there. The flood is coming. Notice, secondly, his faith, there was reverence. There's the emotional part. He had to, he had to feel all the feels about what God was telling him. He trembled and shuddered at God's word. But number three, he prepared it. God, he acted on it. Faith is a head knowledge that God gives you. You're a sinner. You deserve the worst. There's a heart change that comes. I want to believe this, Lord. Help me believe in my unbelief. But there's something that goes and does. There are many people that have it in their head, but God has never shown it in their hearts. If you're here today and you know all about Jesus, you've grown up hearing the message of Jesus, 
but you've never committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. This is it. How many people can come to church and win every episode of Bible trivia? By the way, any Jeopardy fans in here? You all saw this on, on the uh, uh, news this week. Uh, if, I, I especially, I almost put this up. I just didn't connect it. But in Jeopardy, you know, they always put up the answer, right? The, you know, uh, two. What is one plus one? You, the answer's on the screen. You have to come up with a question. You know how Jeopardy works. Do, 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 blah, blah, blah. They put up there, Paul wrote this book with the most references to the Old Testament in the New Testament. And the answer that the guy said was, what is Hebrews? Well, first off, did Paul write Hebrews Church? We would say, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no, probably not. But the real answer is not Hebrews. The most Old Testament quotations actually comes from the book of Romans. So those pesky people have not been listening to our sermons here at Tower View Baptist Church over the last 11 months. And I say that to say, you can get all the right answers with Jeopardy. You can have all the corrections of all the Bible facts. But unless you have truly repented in your heart and trusted Jesus yourself with your mind, with your heart, and flowing out of that in your actions, you know not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go look it up. It's a funny story. They feel embarrassed. But uh, the guy shouldn't have won who actually won. The, they actually gave the, the guy who put what is Romans actually did not win. The guy who wrote what is Hebrews won the money. You can go look at it. It's a big controversy. Go look it up. But you now know Hebrews was not written by who? Paul. Probably not. Maybe not. Whatever. Last thing I'll say is this. He received it by faith. But I want to remind you as we close and get ready to apply this to our church in 2023. As he did this, I want you to know that even when he fell, and Amy will put this up, even when he fell, even when we fall, we remain eternally secure in Christ. If you've trusted Jesus alone to save you, not anything else, Noah fell down many times, but he never once fell out of the ark. As many of you know, the ark is a picture of God housing us in Jesus Christ. When we receive the righteous faith that comes by faith alone, the ark was a picture of Jesus. Noah's faith is a picture of our faith in Christ. And the ark was designed by God entered by faith and saved by judgment. John 3, 16, Jesus did not come into the world to uh, condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The ark wasn't sent to drown people, but to save people. They were already under the judgment of God. And so friend, Adrian Rogers, Brother Dave, every, I, I, I kid Brother Dave about this last night. If you want any, if you have a, if you're trying to make a story make sense, like tell a story about something to make a point, Dave's your guy. He's a walking sermon illustration database. He has a story for everything, and I love it. I'm going to pick on him for this, but I'm not sure you got this one. Adrian Rogers once told the story, the great preacher, about a dad and his son, and the, the son said, Dad, do you know Mr. Noah, the one building the boat? And picture this was in the time of Noah. And the dad said, yes. Well, the little kid said, well, some of us are playing and Noah talked to us. He told us God is angry and he's getting ready to drown the world. Something called a flood, dad. And if you're going to be saved, we're going to have to believe and put on our faith and enter the ark with him and trust God. And the little boy in Noah's time said, dad, what do you think? And the dad took a moment and he said, son, forgive me for laughing. But when I was a boy, I was playing at the same place you were. And I was working the same thing and doing it. And Noah preached the same message, and he literally scared us to death. And I went to my dad like you did to me, 
And I said, God, and he told me, God isn't going to do that. You just go back out and play, son. Everything will be okay. And about that time, the clouds began to swirl and darken. They turned black and began to boil and swirl. And the bottoms of the deep rushed out. And God closed the door on the ark. Friends, as we enter 2023, I want to remind you that being a Christian is going to look weird. It's going to feel weird. Let's make Christianity weird again. <laughs> Teresa was running to the ark, I think, at that point. <laughs> Mama, you, you about, she was coming up here. I see where she was going. It's all right. Uh, if you're if you're listening some other way, we had a, a little uh, toddler was making an exit. She was she heard the story and she was running to safety, whatever that is. We appreciate it all, guys. I just want to take a moment and talk frankly about our church. But I pray the lessons we've heard today that we revere the word, we reach the lost, we condemn the world by how we live, not unlovingly but lovingly, and we trust that there's faith alone in Christ that saves us. That we see these things. I'm going to pick on him in a good way. I pick on Ben a lot, but Ben, our intern. I asked him to do an old SWOT analysis, which is a business tool, just to look at our church and say, Ben, you've been with us a few months. Give us our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. What are we doing well? What can we improve on? What are some things that threaten us? And look at this from a biblical lens. And this brother hit this out of the park because he basically put on paper what we had been talking about for years. I want to share it with you quickly. I want to apply it. I want to take the Lord's Supper, and we'll be out. But I want you to know from the pastoral view, what you see. A lot of churches, you always question, what are we up to? What's the plan? Here it is. 